and welcome to another episode of Laying Down the Lore 40k, a lore podcast in which we aim to separate our Dukari from our Dark Angels, our Tyranids from our Tau, and our Craft Worlds from our Chaos Marines, and generally ask, what's up with this Warhammer 40k stuff? My name is Ben Crone Barber, and I know pretty much fuck all about 40k. With me is my co-host, Christopher Kralin Allen. Oh, ni hao. Who knows absolutely fuck all about 40k. Nothing. Nada. And my dear brother Darren. Hello. Who knows so much about 40k, it's a wonder he has time to do anything else. Over the years, this dichotomy between our levels of understanding became clear, and this series is an attempt to address that ignorance. Ignorance. No, we're not doing that. Oh, come on. (laughs) (laughs) We tried the ignorance harmony once, and you ruined it. (laughs) Ignorance harmony. Best night at the Black Crag by far. (laughs) Because you kept pronouncing ignorance, stupidity. (laughs) Yeah. In my own unintelligence. Uh, uh, Right. Are we spiritually ready for... Well, we'll see. We'll see. Let's get down to testers to see if we qualify to continue with episode seven. Go on, quizzes on episode six, Darren. And if we get less than half right, we're not doing the episode. There, I said it. Here we go. (laughs) It's another episode of Darren's Reluctant Recap. (laughs) He laughed. Uh, Give me, question (laughs) the one. Give me two examples of who the emperor could have been throughout history that are not sacrilegious. Michael Jackson. Uh, He could have been Julius Caesar. (laughs) Yeah. Or he also could have been... Dick Cheney. No. Um, Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great and Dick Cheney. Which I often <laughs> thought that would be a terrible nickname to have. Well, Alexander the Great or Dick Cheney. How's your fella as a sexual partner? Hmm, Dick Cheney. <laughs> That's my other half's nickname, Dick Cheney. <laughs> it's rhyming slang. A rhyming slang. So sorry, it was Alexander the Great and who was the other example? There was another, there was that, you could have really picked anyone there. I was, I was being facetious. Yeah. Crow, what did you say? Julius Caesar? I said Julius Caesar, yeah. Okay. That was my, that was my go. I think there was no wrong answer. I think that was the So point. Michael Jackson. Yeah, yeah Michael Jackson. Yeah. And conversely, Weird Al Yankovic. We don't, we just don't yeah. know. <laughs> All we can say is they're working towards the benefit of humankind. <laughs> How those individuals were involved in that great plan of guiding humanity, we'll never know. We'll never know. <laughs> but all I'll say is thriller. I've, <laughs> yeah, I've never seen Michael Jackson and Weird Al Yankovic in the same room. Well, indeed. Or Michael Jackson and the Emperor in the same room. Yeah. 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 L- yeah. I tell you what, prove me wrong, provide me with photographic evidence of Weird Al Yankovic, <laughs> Michael Jackson, and Julius Caesar in the same room. <laughs> And Elvis and the Loch Ness Monster drinking together. In a <laughs> the Loch Ness Monster. They're alive, I'm telling you. They're on the dark side of the moon. <laughs> <laughs> that is a Photoshop job of epic proportions. Uh, okay, question DB. What was the Primarch project? Crow, you've got If this. you make a joke about clothes, I'll wait until we're at Warhammer Fest, kick you right in the nuts. 
Okay, all right. Come at me, bro. Uh, the Primark <laughs> project was the Emperor's initial attempt to create a small collective, or as Darren likes to call them, a handful of super-duper <laughs> uh, generals, commanders, admirals that he could use to lead great legions and armies to t- event- ultimately take over the galaxy and, and uh, have the Imperium rule. However, however, the Chaos Gods put a stop to that, or at least scuppered his plans initially by mm. yoinking those Primarch Yoink. fetuses, feti, <laughs> feti? <laughs> and scattering them across the galaxy. <laughs> Find them now. That's right. And thus started... The animation, the Thundercats. <laughs> thunder, 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 thunder. It's, it's hard to imagine a Primarch as a as a baby, isn't it? Because so you, you said that they develop really quickly, but there must have been a period where it was like Horace the Toddler. The terrible twos. Yeah, yeah. Mine, <laughs> yeah. mine. The mine stage. Oh, God. I think, the, imagine the You're going to be a great father, Kral. <laughs> the physique of Arnold Schwarzenegger reduced down proportionally to a baby. That's funny. Yeah. That's, that's basically me, Darren. You're basically describing me. <laughs> I am. <laughs> Hench but tiny. Uh, those Joe Wicks classes are... Uh, yeah. What's the one that you do? It's not Joe Wicks, is it? It's um... Oh, Grom the Paunch. No, no. The, from the, 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 from the Oh, I think in the parody <laughs> advert that I did for the Old World no, Fantasy no, no, podcast, no, no. available on no, all no, major no, platforms, they... for, available wherever you listen to your podcasts, yeah? <laughs> the workout thing that you do. Oh, oh Les, Les Mills. Mills. Les oh, man. Mills. You, it's, you're it's such like a, a leser, aren't you? You love Mate, it. I am gay for Les Mills. I really am. So. <laughs> Honestly, the shame, Like, I don't mind admitting it, but I do it on my own. I close all the windows well, obviously, I close windows. I close all the curtains, all the doors. Amy's not allowed in there. And then I get my Les Mills on. It's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. When I lived with Crowell for a while, it was like when he was starting it, it was all, they don't come in here. Don't come in here. Like, don't look at me. What? <laughs> what, what are you doing in there, man? <laughs> oh, man. Question the third. What was the purpose of the Great Crusade? Um, the Great Crusade. I don't. It's so vague. It's such a you know. As far as like titles and and and, and crusades go, the Great One. You know. Well, all um, that says to me is that you've forgotten all the detail that followed the name, the Great Crusade. <laughs> yeah, I'm just deflecting the answer. I'm just basically, I'm the victim. It's your fault. What is, Shut but up. But what really is a Great Crusade? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are any crusades great? <laughs> yeah. So the Great Crusade was humanity traveling out to the stars to reconnect with lost human worlds and discover new worlds and kind of generally push the sphere of human influence out from the solar system, but also possibly as well to find the Primarchs, who I think you said were putting out some sort of psychic signature. That the oh, you were, you were so close. The actual oh. purpose was to reconquer the galaxy reconnect with uh, human planets <laughs> i can see where you go with this you're an asshole <laughs> Fuck <off. laughs> yeah you nailed it you got it absolutely right yeah yeah yes. it was the yeah. <laughs> i can see it in your face as you started like, we've been 
We've been here before, motherfucker. Not, not doing that again. I just wanted to see how long it would take you. <laughs> well, as we did last episode, do you guys have any questions for me? Some bonus questions for Ben the or more bonus questions. For questions. Ben, what was the name of the loser Primark? Was Lorgar. Yeah. Or Borgar. (laughs) (laughs) Boom. (laughs) Oh, you have no idea how applicable that is. (laughs) Oh, here he comes. (laughs) (laughs) Borgar. Call me Lorgar. That's my name. (laughs) Go on, go on, go on. Ask him about faith. Go on, go on. Ask him about faith. (laughs) Hey, excuse me, sir. I'd like to talk to you about my Lord and Savior. (laughs) (laughs) My Lord and Savior, Dad. Yeah. (laughs) He probably founded like the Emperor's Witnesses. (laughs) Hello, we'd like to talk to you about the Emperor. (laughs) Do we qualify for a new episode? Was is that good enough? Oh, this is just one question. Yeah, fair enough. Oh no, it was two questions. Okay, let me think of another question. Let me think of another question. Go on, go on, go on, go on. Um, Okay, Ben. I've got a question for you while you're thinking of a question for me. Go, go, go. Yeah, go on, go on, go on. So, uh, Space Marine, Primark, Custodes, uh, Custodes, and the Emperor, what is the order of size? Physical size? Yep. Uh, Did we discuss how big the Emperor actually was? Because he can manifest in different things. Okay, I'm going to say the Emperor's the biggest because he's the flippant Emperor. Then you've got the Primarchs who are, what, six and a half to eight foot tall? Or are they the tall ones? But anyway, they are, uh, it's the Primarchs and then the Custodes who are a little bit smaller. And then, and then? (laughs) And then? And then? No, and then? And then? (laughs) the Space Marines. Uh, okay, yeah, fine. Uh, yeah. Space Marines, uh, 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 then a Bronchosaurus, and then... <laughs> a Velociraptor, the Church of England, Kate. the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, <laughs> yeah, the end. <laughs> so it's six and a half to eight feet for the Space Marine. Custodes are a foot taller, Primarchs are a foot taller than them, and then the Emperor is just somewhere as above big there. as you can imagine yeah exactly yeah you have the correct order and i think for someone like yourself that's the important fact yes that's it that's it <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, finer, the finer details are neither here nor there <laughs> yeah <laughs> and we may waste too much time as they all stand out. in front of the hanging gardens of babylon exactly. <laughs> which the emperor probably built yeah 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 again yep, yep. doing hand gestures on an audio medium excellent <laughs> You'd think after like two years, I'd learn. <laughs> but no. <laughs> but no. Constantine of the Constantine uh, Empire. Could that, he could have been that? I, I think, think we've lost Ben, Darren. Shall we just crack on with episode seven? Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's gone, gone off. He's, he's gone, gone off into here. the weeds. Come back to us, Ben. <gasps> I love the idea oh. that he'll be sitting there later after having filled his pot noodle with his own tears. He'll just <laughs> sit there and then for a moment he'll go, Am I the emperor? <laughs> <laughs> As he's spilling pot noodle gravy down his top. Yeah, uh, that reminds me of um, that reminds me of that um, Ricky Gervais podcast where he's talking to Carl Pilkington about clones, and Carl Pilkington goes, "But if you had a clone of yourself, how would you know which one you were?" 
It's a completely valid question. <laughs> Fucking hell. Let's think on that for a second. <laughs> All right. So have we, you know, have we, have we, have I we think that's good enough. For... I think we can safely say that um, some knowledge from the previous episode has been retained. So I, I'm happy to proceed. The foundational stuff is there, which is good. So again, it's kind of Chris has one part of the puzzle and I have another part of the puzzle. And if you get us together, then we may have some... Two holes make approx- nothing. We all know that. It's math. <laughs> some close approximation of the, the facts, but but not actually the facts. <laughs> yeah. Combine that with the fact that the episode that he gave us, like, like he said, he admitted himself, there are holes in this that you could drive a truck through. So by yeah. the time it filters through to us, Ben, it's like, it ain't 40k anymore. Yeah, yeah. A completely new IP. I I, th- I think <laughs> if we'd gone into the, the the level of detail for the lore that's out there, we'd have two episodes on the history of the emperor alone, which we may get to. I'd love to do that. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. I'm prepared to do that, but you have to dress like Michael Jackson. <laughs> Jokes on you. I'm already dressed like him from the waist down. <laughs> Talking of the um, emperor and his kind of, you know, his backstory, we were talking the other day, Dar, about Dune, because obviously in the intro episodes or the first couple of episodes, you were talking about the similarities between Frank Herbert's novels and the 40K yeah. setting. And I'm I'm halfway through the second book. Is it Dune Messiah now? Yes. And like, there are an insane number of similarities. Oh, like, yeah. It is really quite astonishing that that one didn't kind of say, hold on a minute, guys. Like, well, I say one, that Frank Herbert didn't say, dudes, like, what's going on here? But it, it is interesting that, like, you could almost see the life of Paul Atreides as a kind of version, or maybe one of the lives of one of the incarnations of, of the emperor, couldn't you? Yes, absolutely. I mean, if as we said, if you take Dune and you add in, say, the Hawkmoon series from Michael Moorcock, or even any of the Eternal Champion stuff, that's 40k. And a little bit of the Three Stooges. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> right, Dar, where are we going? What's, what's cracking this one, this episode? We are going to follow on from the the Great Crusade into heresy, specifically <gasps> the Horus heresy, where the Great Crusade not only falters but splinters, not in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle terms, but in kind of, you know, <laughs> splitting into two groups. The War Master Horus rebels against the Emperor and the kind of anodyne administrative monolithic infrastructure that the Imperium has become, where it's no longer the exciting, you know, uh, go-getting, planet-destroying Great Crusade, and it turns into the kind of rulership, a kind of uh, administration. Kafkaesque, boring, bureaucratic. So he goes all anti-establishitarianism. I can't even say that word. (laughs) Stick it to the man. (laughs) (laughs) Anti-disestablishmentarianism. Is that what you meant? Anti. Is that what you meant to say? As if there was an alternative word that you were trying to say yeah. that wasn't anti-disestablishmentarianism. I really enjoy the fact that you know me so well. I can just mumble stuff. I don't really know the word. I mean, like, what he really <laughs> yeah. means is. Let me translate that for you. What you're what you're trying to say is the anteater establishment Aryans. Yes. The, yes. The, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The ant The white people that hold anteaters as the ultimate life form. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Yeah. Exactly. So as we'd. Uh, 
highlighted at the end of the last episode and also in the recap I just gave there, the Great Crusade is sort of grinding to a halt. It's expanded out to the really the furthest reaches it can, and it's conquered so many planets. So many planets have been claimed by the Imperium that the some of the ones that have already been reconquered require re-reconquering as they've rebelled. So you get this sort of police action, internal police action, which really is the it highlights the issue with authoritarianism. It's exhausting. It requires so much energy to keep it going, even to keep the status quo going. Thus, the administrative weight that's required. Uh, this administrative effort, which was the responsibility of that guy who... Malkador, thank you. Was that was that his doing? Basically? Yes, was this he, age he, of Malkador, as it was. Uh, ish, yes, it's the agents of Malkador. So he's uh, okay. he's responsible for the what would become the Adeptus Terra, the the kind of administrative priest. Hmm. So he was responsible for uh, instituting the kind of foundational version of these well institutions, I suppose. Gotcha. Was this in any way, or could this be viewed? as a flaw in the emperor's plan. You know, he was very much like destroy and conquer, but then didn't really have any kind of maintaining. What's the Hindu god that does the maintaining? I forget. Vishnu? Yeah, I think it's Vishnu. Like the yeah, like there was no plan to kind of manage it, so it was always going to stagnate and kind of fall apart. His plan was always pretty fluid anyway, do you know what I mean? He was like let's worry about that later. Let's conquer the galaxy first and then we'll worry about how to manage feed police people afterwards that's that's tomorrow's problem yeah i think i'd mentioned in the last episode that he the emperor very much uses people as tools to get a job done and doesn't really care about the tools Mm. after he's achieved the ends Uh, as we saw with the thunder warriors the culling of the thunder warriors once the unification process for terror was done Mm. mr chris Mm. So the emperor was all about do what you need for the betterment of the Imperium of Man. Was he selfless like that or selfish? So would there was was there or would there ever be a situation where like, you know what, to increase the influence of the Imperium of Man or to for the for the betterment of it, I will sacrifice myself. Was he selfless or um, selfish in that kind of no, sense? No, he, he he certainly saw himself as the center of the Imperium. When we're talking about the betterment of the Imperium, we're talking about it subjectively from his perspective. It's what he thinks is best. It's his plan. He thinks he is the Imperium of Man. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. you know. The Imperium of Me, he would have called it, yeah. Yeah. So he, what he's creating in the long run, had it continued, had he been successful, is effectively... A, a prison for humanity that doesn't understand it's in prison. Gotcha. Both yeah, yeah. physically, politically, and psychically. It's hard to kind of define his exact motivations for that. Was it coming from a good place in that he felt that humanity was intrinsically good and should therefore, you know, dominate the stars and kind of spread that influence? Or was it that, you know, simply he was human and, you know, by extension, then, he wanted his race to to survive. I think it's a mixed bag. I think certainly uh, he wanted the humans to get out there and conquer the galaxy and, and, you know, and humanity first above all else. But this is a being that's lived for 
you know, nigh on 40,000 years to this point. So how human can his relationships actually be? He's seen everything. He's done everything. He's had every form of relationship that is possible to have with individuals and groups and multiple times, I suspect. So, you know, his empathy, what's his empathy like? You know, what he views as good may be horrific to other people because he's got a longer plan that really doesn't have an end. Well, arguably, he's kind of lost his humanity, isn't he? Because, I mean, empathy is a human emotion. Like, you can't really have that if you've lived for 40,000 years and you have plans that grand and that far stretching into the future. You know, like, human emotions wouldn't really... There's not really much space in a plan like that for... Like, I want to do this massive thing in 20,000 years, but I don't want to hurt this guy's feelings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ben, you wouldn't make a very good The Emperor. I would make it ter- I would be terrible. <laughs> I would be terrible. There is no space for people-pleasing in being an emperor. <laughs> I'd also call into question the motivation of anyone who naturally looks like Danny DeVito, but projects into everyone's mind 10-foot Henry Cavill. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Uh... <laughs> anyway. Horus, already kind of grumbling about the situation, is trying to assert his authority as war master on the other Primarchs. He is offering alliances and favorable treatment to some. He's alienating others, all within the kind of classic sibling rivalry model, or so it's thought. It is at the planet Davin where really the first blow is struck literally, where a hidden assassin strikes out at Horus himself as they're retaking uh, the planet, and in fact, one of the moons. Oh no, the planet. And he is mortally wounded, uh, which is an an event rare by any stretch of the imagination, because Primarchs are, you know, they have regenerative capacity, they're incredibly strong, they wear the best armor, so this, this sword obviously was uh, cut from a thicker cloth than ordinary blades. He was pulled out by his legion, formerly the Luna Wolves, or as Chris called them, the Looney Wolves. (laughs) But because he had been able to decimate orc culture, he was given the honour of rename of his uh, legion being renamed the Sons of Horus, which involved going from their kind of black and white plain armor to a kind of sea green armor in honor of uh, Horus's uh, home world. So Horus is brought back onto his flagship, the Vengeful Spirit, where he's brought into the apothecary, the, you know, the great kind of medic stations on these massive ships. And it's discovered that the wound is so uh, grievously uh, infected that they need the blade itself to be able to identify it. So they head back down. There's a bit of a, a kind of standard set battle. They get the blade, but they're still unable to factor in what's happened to Horus. That's when some elements from what's called the Serpent Lodge, which is a, a, a semi-culty religious well, cult, I suppose, uh, on the planet of Davin, uh, say that they can cure him. So he's brought to the Serpent Lodge, where he goes through really 
a corruptive trial by the forces of chaos, who in fact were the ones to orchestrate his mortal wounding by the forces of Lorgar. <gasps> Borgar. Borgar, who had been <laughs> uh, shamed by the emperor, had abandoned his uh, imperial faith and thrown his lot in with the forces of chaos. You'll recall from the last episode, the forces of chaos got uh, swindled in a deal with the emperor and are out for vengeance. Um, and also the souls of mankind, you know, trivial stuff like that. <laughs> Logar, you son of a bitch. The corruption takes the form of a sort of incitement of jealousy and uh, touches of inner kind of dialogues with beings from other dimensions. And thus, Horus is eventually turned against the Emperor. You know, the view is that the Emperor abandoned his sons. And as, as he did so, he put Horus in charge to deal with the mess. So Horus is incredibly resentful of this and decides, you know what, I'm going to take over. Why should I... I, as war master, as the supreme leader of all human forces, bend the knee to a character that just doesn't care anymore. So what he starts doing is influencing his brother Primarchs. He starts sounding out whether some could be turned to support him, if not chaos outright, aided in this by Lorgar, and also then starts to send troops or primarchs and legions that he know would be uh, you know, steadfastly loyal to the emperor to put them out on the fringes of the galaxy, far away from Terra, where he's going to head to be able to uh, kill the emperor and take command of the Imperium of Man. You know, he, he starts implementing this, He's able to quickly establish that Fulgrim, the Primarch of the Emperor's Children, Angron, the Primarch of the World Eaters, uh, Mortarion, the Primarch of the Death Guard, and Lorgar, obviously, as Primarch of the Wordbearers, would be, would be steadfast they, to him. They, they would join the rebellion uh, easily. Obviously, Lorgar's forces... You know, you can take a view that it's it's their fault that this happened, uh, but really they they capitalized on their own sort of trauma and managed to corrupt. You know, I don't think anyone would argue the best of humanity in in, in the form of uh, Horus. He was before he was corrupted. He was perhaps the best. You know, up to and including having empathy and compassion for not only his troops but for enemies offering you know, equitable terms of surrender to anyone that would bend the knee. He was the Boy Scout. I wouldn't go so far as a Boy Scout, but, you know, he was someone that would cave someone's head in with a, with a hammer if they didn't use the correct salad fork, <laughs> as dictated by the, the rules of the Imperium. <laughs> That's a yogurt spoon! It's a yogurt spoon. <laughs> Mr. Chris. Uh, question. You mentioned a Primarch named Angron. Angron, yes. Yeah. Um, I have, uh, as you know, I know nothing to little about 40K, but I've seen miniatures of Angron, and he doesn't look human. He looks more like a classic kind of large demon monster. Primarchs aren't humanoid form, then, necessarily. Primarchs are 100% humanoid form. 
at the start. Germany, I, yeah. oh, what, right, okay, what, yeah. what you're seeing is the corrupted demon prince. It's the some of the Primarchs were elevated to demonhood and thus becoming demon princes towards well actually during the the kind of tail end of the heresy there was they arrived on earth as demon princes uh, some of them mm. at least so yes some remained humanoid some went the kind of classical demon i mean fulgrim ended up as a sort of medusa-esque figure with ordinary but beautiful hair four arms and a snake tail starting from his waist instead of legs um so he drew the short yeah. straw then, didn't he? Like, you can have all the power, but you're going to look like a slug with arms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Somewhat in, it is a tangent, but I have a friend who races snails. And he has like a, he's heading for the championship this year. Wow. Slowly. <laughs> so, yeah, he's very slowly, slowly heading to it. But the case the lead contender, he's got the fastest snail in quotes. Uh, and he's wondering if there's anything to he can do to make it even faster. So he extends it a good chance. Doping, so, oh, doping, snail doping, scam. No, <laughs> what he actually did is he removed the shell. He very <gasps> carefully removed the snail shell. If anything, it made it more sluggish. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're welcome. I'll work into that one. I was going to say, like, I was getting really excited about the idea of like being able to paint the shell. <laughs> like, <laughs> maybe put a go faster stripe on it. <laughs> Swoosh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so while um, Horus falls to chaos. There is an early warning that this is going to happen. Magnus the Red, who we discussed last episode as being the Cyclops, perhaps physically, but in general is portrayed as just a regular-faced guy with one eye. He is an insanely powerful Psyker, second really only to the Emperor in terms of capacity. You know, some could argue that Malkador, uh, who also is a psyker, is is up there on equal footing with Magnus, but I'm I'm not convinced. Magnus gets a vision of this betrayal, of this uh, corruption, and sends a psychic message to the emperor. Now, this is significant because uh, less than a decade prior to that, there had been what's called the Council of Nicaea, uh, which uh, mirrors the Council of Nicaea in the Catholic Church is where they sat down and established doctrine in our own world. And thus they do the same, but for the use of psychic power within the Space Marine Legions, within the Legiones Astartes. This is, there are a number of Primarchs present at this gathering, overseen by the Emperor, and really its purpose is to shut down the use of psychers within the Space Marine Legions because it's a conduit to warp power. And the Emperor is hiding, not actively hiding, but trying to make, minimize the psychic footprint of the human race until he's able to uh, come up with uh, or manifest his plan to transfer humanity or the safe transfer of humanity into the psychic uh, race. That's what he tells everyone. Else. I'm not hiding. No, I'm not yeah. hiding. I'm the <laughs> I'm just making sure. That blah, blah, blah. <laughs> the resulting kind of conclusion and then the dictat is that uh, psychic powers are verboten 
uh, within the Space Marine Legions. Anyone who has the capacity or anyone who is a member of the librariums, these are the, the schools of Space Marine psychers, have to be returned to basic foot troop duties. They are demoted to uh, regular kind of brother Space Marines. And any Primark who has that capacity is banned from using it on pain of death. Mr. Chris. Um, so these Psyker-enabled Space Marines that got demoted, do their powers get withdrawn as well, or they're just told, don't use them, otherwise you'll be penalised? Yeah, don't use right, them. So they still have yeah. the capabilities of using it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So was this, and I'm not going to pronounce that properly, Nikea? Nikea Dictat? Nikea, yeah. Uh, so the Nikea Dictat, was that when, because obviously this is 30k, and it's and what we were talking about in terms of forty k a few episodes ago was the fact that psychic use is yeah you know heavily controlled and yes is that was that the start of it then the Nike like obviously you said it was it was specifically about use of psyker abilities within the Space Marine uh, legions but did that extend out to the the general populace as well. It it did a hundred percent, and that I mean, you t- you touch it with a needle there. That really is the kind of foundational element of the banning of mutants and psychers uh, from you know being people of good standing within the uh, Imperium because of the threat of corruption that they pose. That was manifested during the Horus Heresy. So, two questions then. Firstly, how was this the first time? Like, because he, because he, you said that the. The perpetuals was that the name? The, the perpetuals, the yeah, yeah. So they yeah. knew they knew very early on that humanity was going to become a psychic race, or at least had a very had the capacity to become a psychic yeah. race. Why was it only now that he's putting in this safeguard? And well, follow up question: What was what could he possibly have done? Because he was holding off, he was trying to hold back, like you said, he was hiding until he figured out a way to bring humanity into that kind of era of psychic use safely was that was that the plan yeah yeah yeah, yeah. right yeah, it, yeah, is, yeah. is it written anywhere what he was planning on doing in order to make it safe uh, not really i mean the the use of the webway to be able to get across the galaxy without using warp drive entering warp space in the realm of the chaos gods that gives you an idea of the direction he was heading in right in terms of being able to uh, stop psychers uh, and being able to control the evolution of psychers, which is really what he was trying to do, the evolution of the, of humanity as a psychic race. Well, he didn't, until like a thousand years before the Great Crusade, he didn't have the authority to do it. I mean, he did right. within whatever area he controlled, but he didn't have humanity as a whole. So if he's able to control 10% of humanity and 90% of them just go rogue and they start wildly manifesting psychic powers, he's failed. Right, okay. So that was that. But also the Space Marines are the weapon of choice of the Emperor for mass combat. You know, they are the kind of surgical blade to cut out the heart of the enemy versus Mm. the sledgehammer use of the Imperial Army, the kind of traditional regiments. But again, you've got to factor in the long view the Emperor has. I mean, it's only 10,000 years after this, what we're talking about now, that there's a kind of uptick in the the birth of psychers and the manifestation of psychic 
beings in humanity. So who knows what it would have looked like if the Imperium had lasted. Nice. Anyway, with this, Space Marines and Primarchs were banned from using psychic powers. Banned completely, on pain of destruction. Of course, Magnus uh, broke that diktat, uh, sensing that there is a threat to the, the Imperium and the Emperor's person from Horus. He sends a psychic spear of information straight to the Emperor. This causes two real problems. One, one of his sons broke the rules, regardless of what the uh, message was, and a message which he could not comprehend to be absolutely true. Who the Emperor couldn't. Yeah, the, the Emperor couldn't bring himself to completely believe it because Horus is the best of his weapons. And two... He had returned to Terra to take control of the Webway project to try and divorce humanity's inter kind of stellar desires uh, from the warp by using the Webway. It destabilized the psychic barriers around the Webway, and instantly a war broke out. Demons, hordes of demons, broke into the Webway near the, the entranceway at the Golden Throne, and it started a huge campaign that, you know, there's some evidence that still is going on, in, you know, 10,000 years later, where the the forces of the custodies and specially trained troops are fighting back a constant stream of demons who are trying to get into the Imperial Palace via the Golden Throne. So Magnus had put humanity itself at risk you know, the best laid plans. And the emperor had had enough and he dispatched a fleet to bring Magnus to Terra, to bring him to heal and to see if there was any saving him at all. Mr. Chris. At which point did the webway, stability of the webway, the safety of the webway break for the chaos to then break through? What happened for that to happen? I understand what you've just said, but at which point was it like, and at this point the webway was unsafe? Well, if the, you can imagine, so Magnus, I got this, Darren. I got this. <laughs> there we go. So Magnus sensed there was a betrayal, basically coming. So even though he was denied use of his psychic powers by the Nikea diktat, he sent a psychic message to the emperor. But the power involved, the psychic energy involved in sending that message destroyed the psychic barriers around the palace. It was that action of him sending the message. And it was it that was, exact okay. that, yeah. And it was that exact moment then that I'm guessing everything got fucked up. Yeah. Imagine imagine a, a, a pipe underwater and someone drives a nail into the pipe and suddenly water is pouring in. Now think of water as legions upon legions of demons. Gotcha. Yeah. Which yeah, I often it. do. Okay. I often do. Everyone got really wet. And it's, it's all <laughs> happening just on the other side of the Golden Throne, the entranceway. So Magnus was fine. <laughs> he was just like, uh, by the way, one of your sons is betraying you. <laughs> oh, yeah, deal with this situation as well. See ya. My <laughs> 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 my group pack of Beth, Kane, and I have been traveling for a long, long time. We have traveled, visited many man-thing planets with their giant city burrows. We've scampered, scurried through the lowest depths of the sewers to the tallest perches. No sense sign of any other ratkin. 
we, we hear no fizz big squeak of rattlings, but they were nothing but stunty nothers. Ah, 13,000 curses upon any who defile the name of rats. <laughs> Those who have seen us, us and lived have called named us Hrad. What, what is a Hrad anyways? How in this massive galaxy are there not, not any other Skaven? A force of a force comprising of uh, a significant number of um, custodies, the emperor's own bodyguards, uh, the almost the entirety of the Space Wolf chapter under Lehman Russ, the Primarch of the Space Wolf chapter, and some uh, elements from other chapters, including the Sons of Horus, head to head to Prospero, which is the planet of not only Magnus, but of the Thousand Sons Legion. En route, the agents of Horus within the, within the force of the Sons of Horus convince Lehman Russ that he has to kill Magnus the Red. He has to kill his brother because his brother will never surrender and he's going to use all his witch powers to defend his home. Ultimately, they arrive at Prospero and uh, effectively... Uh, land like uh, a nuclear bomb. They don't launch nuclear bombs, or they may have, who knows, but their impact uh, has that effect. A huge campaign of destruction begins. Imagine superhero Vikings in almost impervious battle armor with uh, enormous guns and huge claymores that are in fact chainsaws. (laughs) Mincing, I was about to say mincing, uh, carving their way through the populace of Prospero. It ultimately leads to the destruction of the populace of uh, Prospero, where you're looking at somewhere of 30 million casualties in an effort to bring the Thousand Sons Legion, that's Magnus's Legion, to heal. Magnus and Lehman Russ end up in a duel where uh, Magnus acts as Bane and snaps Oh, sorry, uh, Lehman Russ acts as Bane and snaps Magnus's spine over his knee while Magnus senses the death throes of almost his entire legion. A good uh, 60 to 80,000 thousand Sun Marine warriors die within a matter of days. And it all bubbles up in Magnus's mind and he calls out for assistance. He calls out for mercy. And the being Help. that answers is <laughs> a being called Zinch, who is one of the chaos gods. This is the chaos god of fate and magic or psychic power. And in this pleading, the remaining warriors of the Thousand Sons Legion and Magnus himself are teleported away through warp magic to what would become the planet of the sorcerers. So there are no thousand suns left on the surface of Prospero and the space wolves and Lehman Russ retire from the battle, having completely effectively completely destroyed not only a culture, but a a brother chapter. Mr. Ben. Did Lehman Russ, did it happen during his fight with Magnus that Magnus suddenly disappeared? Like, did they see them just disappear or yeah they discorporated they just kind of bamfed out of existence uh, or bamfed away 
and thus went through more changes. What's to be pointed out here is that it was the whispered advice of Horus via his via his agents within the Sons of Horus uh, contingent of the invasion force. This was a designed reaction. He wanted Magnus to be taken off the board in terms of both being a, a, a brother Primarch, but also the Legion, because Horus knew that Magnus was actually loyal. He was loyal to the Emperor. So he contrived a situation where uh, one of the Chaos Gods would be able to influence a loyal Space Marine Primarch and his Legion and take them out of the fight. It was one less Legion that Horus had to deal with on the way wow. to conquer Terra. Holy shit. It was Horus's specific plan to have a Chaos God remove Magnus. That's what he wanted. It was his response to the message, the warning from Magnus. Okay. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. A, a corruption of the force sent to bring Magnus back to Terra. So in very in a very real way, Magnus was betrayed by Chaos into following Chaos. Mm. Was Magnus aware of the impact that he'd had on Terra? Uh, I think so. Yes. Yeah. But, and but I, when you foresee that half of the the uh, Imperium's armed forces are going to come to Terra and destroy what you've spent so long with your father building, you really have it's it's a it's a kind of devil's bargain at that stage. You're going to have to do something, mm. uh, and it would take too long. He, I think, if he can be faulted in anything, it's that he didn't realize that he could just hop on a spaceship and go there. He could surrender himself to the forces of the the Imperium and plead his case. Right, okay. Instead, he reacted instinctually and sent a message to, uh, sent the psychic spear into uh, Terra. It's quite, it's quite a sad story. In far, in terms it is of a sad of story. The, the, the conversions of Space Marine legions to the forces of Chaos, his seems to be unique in that it was actually unwilling like he didn't want to be. It was through desperation and that kind of. Final it was through desperation, yeah. That, yeah. That he kind of called out, whereas the rest of them all seem to have kind of gone, well, not willingly, but they had defects of their character manipulated by chaos in order to make them kind of flip over to that side. There's one other example that it's not a perfect kind of mirror of what happened to. To Magnus, it's Mortarian and the Death Guard. They become possessed by the forces of uh, the Chaos God Nurgle, who is the god of disease and corruption and despair. They are naturally given to those kinds of emotions because they're kind of steadfast and um, these things tend not to affect them in any real way. Uh, but en route to the kind of final battle of Terra, they are becalmed, their fleet is becalmed in the warp and they're infected by the kind of uh, thing called the destroyer virus at the behest of one of the captains. This captain pleads to Nurgle to spare them from this disease and he, on his Primarch's behalf and on behalf of the entire Legion, dedicate themselves to the, the kind of chaos god and they become then corrupted physically with disease. Oh, I see. But that's again. That's not. It, it's a, that was a Hobson's choice. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't as relatively tragic as Magnus's condition. As Magnus. 
Having dealt with the immediate threat of Magnus and resulting in uh, extracting an entire legion from the battle, so it was one less thing he either had to try and persuade or uh, fight, he then looks to his own legion and the legion of those Primarchs that he knows for sure are with him. So these are the Emperor's children, the Death Guard, the World Eaters, the Word Bearers, and his own Sons of Horus. And he has an opportunity to go through his ranks to see who is loyal to him alone and who is loyal to the emperor above him. He achieves this through the institution of what's called lodges, warrior lodges. These are like the masons, but it's for space marines. So you have to be invited in. And when you enter in the kind of area, the meeting room, rank no longer matters. You can speak as brothers. You can talk about things that would be considered insubordination. Uh, we and should have that. We, that's what this is. The, <laughs> <laughs> what do you think we've been doing for two years? We're in a safe place. Nothing is going to get published on the internet. It's absolutely confidential, Ben. Yeah. Whatever you want to say. Yeah. <laughs> the, these warrior lodges, the way to get in, as I say by invitation, but you need to present a lodge coin. So this is a, it has a, a symbol representing what lodge you're with, but also then on the other side, it has the kind of chapter symbol, your, or sorry, your legion symbol, your legion iconography. It's a member's card. Yeah, a lot of brothers in the in the Legion start carrying this. Uh, and if ever you're asked about it, if you're a member of the uh, Warrior Lodges or if someone approaches you who's in the same lodge and asks you a question about it outside of the lodge, you have to respond with, I cannot say. That's your ritual response because the things are secret. The things discussed in the lodge are secret. It's like Fight Club. Yeah, it contravenes the established uh, command structure within each legion, although done so by design by uh, Horus and, to some extent, Lorgar as well. Eventually, they get a good handle on which of their individual Space Marine children are loyal, who is loyal to their Primarch, who is loyal to the Emperor. And they have an opportunity to divest themselves of the brothers that they are unsure of or who they know who would be loyal to the emperor at a place called Istvan. It's a planet that had already been brought into what's called imperial compliance. It had been brought into the Imperium of Man, the, the growing Imperium of Man. But the governor, the planetary governor, had uh, become possessed by a demon and had or sorry, become corrupted by a demon and had seceded from the Imperium. So bringing the, the majority of their uh, five legions to uh, the planet, they organized the recapture of the entire planet using exclusively troops that were loyal to the Emperor. So any of the troops that are members of the Warrior Lodges or who are demonstrably loyal to their Primarchs or to Horus himself remain in orbit as kind of the second wave of the attack if needed. And as the reconquest is taking place, Horus institutes the virus bombing of the planet. These virus bombs, uh, they're the life eater virus. So they're huge shells the size of buses that when they detonate in the atmosphere, they release a virus that turns all organic matter to liquid. 
uh, and in doing so releases a great amount of gas, flammable gas, which then explodes. So within a matter of an hour, an entire planet has burned itself to death. Wow. Including anyone who was not underground. Now, fortunately, a, a, a very brave captain of the Emperor's children called Saul uh, Tarvitz. Just happened to be digging a hole in the garden? No, he, he, he knew what was happening. He had discovered the plan and communicated on a kind of open channel to all of the, the loyalist troops on the, the planet to get underground, to get in bunkers if they can. And even so, it easily killed 50,000 space marines were wiped out uh, in that initial bombardment. Seeing that they, their plan had failed, Horus was uh, incensed and wanted to give it another go. But Angron, who was brought up as a gladiator, as a slave fighter uh, on the planet of Deshae, and he had in him uh, implanted in his skull something called the Butcher's Nails, which is a, a conditioning and control uh, artifact that means that if he's not fighting, if he's not killing, he's in pain. It causes physical pain. And the conversely, if he's fighting, he's feeling not exactly pleasure, but he's feeling good. Aboard his flagship, he was outraged that anyone had the temerity to survive the uh, firebombing of the planet's surface. So he and his troops, he brought a, a load of his by now traitor brothers down to the surface to begin uh, killing the loyalists as best they could. This forced Horus's hand, which meant that he then had to put in, he had to commit the rest of his forces from the various other legions. I had said that the word bearers were present, but they were present a very minor way. They had been sent off on another mission. So it's really the sons of Horus, the Death Guard, the World Eaters, and the Emperor's children fighting each other, fighting, you know, the traitor brothers were fighting the Loyalist brothers. And it was a real, a, a, a true fight for survival. And while this was going on, it really tied Horus and his fleet to the planet, to the system of Istvan. They couldn't leave. So they were, to some extent, exposed at that position because it took months to completely decimate the Loyalist forces or to render them to such a point where it would be, and here's a word, a handful of uh, uh, areas of resistance rather than effective armies of, uh, you know, incensed space marines. Blimey heck. Are were they were they scared that the like was Horus trying to wipe them out fully or to a degree where they would be ineffectual because they were scared that loyalists would get the word out to Terra and give Terra the kind of heads up? This is exactly right. This is exactly why they were, had done it in that way. And in in this instance, they spectacularly failed because there is a Death Guard captain called Nathaniel Garrow who with uh, 69 other loyal brothers from a, from a mix of uh, legions, from a mix of the four legions, managed to board and capture a frigate called the Eisenstein. And they then escape from Isvan and head straight to Terra to try and warn the loyalist forces of what's happening. And this really is uh, the moment where the treason of Horus 
becomes wildly known or widely known. So did Garo make it to Terra? Garo uh, not only made it to Terra, but uh, eventually made it to Terra, got his information out there and, you know, was imprisoned for a while because obviously if you're the member of a traitor legion, they're going to view you slightly askance. But he he makes his way back into good graces and we'll cover his activities perhaps uh, next episode in the second half of the, the heresy he's, covering. He's a legend. He's an absolute legend. Yeah, he sounds like a righteous dude. Mm, mm. So it, sh- it should be also said that, you know, jokingly, there are literally a handful of loyalist survivors on Istvan 3 who eventually managed to make it off planet. They managed to escape but it's it's less than a hundred, and so the casualties for the Isfan three atrocity, for the traitors, you're looking at somewhere between fifty to seventy thousand die when they are attempting to kill the loyalists that survive. Uh, the loyalists, somewhere between a hundred and fifty and two hundred thousand uh, space marines die, of which you know a quarter to a third die. Uh, in a heartbeat when the life eater virus uh, takes them. But also the entire population of Istvan, which is 8 billion people, gone in, in, in well, gone in a very long click of a finger, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, as, the, as, as they watch each other just become dissolved by the, the life eater virus. But that's really, that's where the, the heresy itself the wider war begins. Mm, wow. wow. There's a lot of like sledgehammer moments that we're learning about at the moment, like yeah. tens, if not hundreds of lives ending. I'm sure there's going to be stories and cases of kind of sabotage, you know, sneaky tactics where it's more, dare I say, Skaven-like, where you're going to oh, have yes. a, a single character, if not a small group or a handful, Darren that are going to sabotage a situation and but create a, a, a problem for the enemy of epic proportions. Yeah, absolutely. There is, oh, I've forgotten the name of the ship. It's the Something Abyss. The Something of Someone. Um, yeah. Where yeah. it's a, a word-bearer kind of super battleship uh, has been built and is heading toward, to bolster word-bearer, the traitor word-bearer forces, but it's boarded by a kill team of like eight to 10 loyalist space Marines who disrupt it and destroy it from within and stop that from, you know, enacting its or being able to bring its firepower to a battle. So yes, there's almost countless uh, instances of bravery carried out by a single person or a small team. Yeah, exactly. Right. Sure. Do you want do you want more of those stories, Kral? Is there are the numbers involved in the the Estevan uh, atrocities? I just too can't much for you imagine. Like it's too, yeah, it's just the numbers massive. You were like can't, can't tens, nay hundreds, and Dara was like, no, eight billion, <laughs> eight billion, <laughs> no dozens at most. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as we just mentioned. Garrow is able to make it through and he gets in front of Malkador the Sigilite and a Primarch of the Imperial Fists called Rogal Dorn, who is the kind of siege master, castle builder of the Imperium, experts in siege warfare and boarding actions, this kind of thing. All of these legions have their kind of specialty 
which we'll cover as we go uh, go forward. Thanks to Garrow and his fellow space marines, the Imperium now is warned proper. I suspect there's no real reflection on the actions of Magnus, because obviously the war in the webway is, uh, you know, begun in earnest, but it's revealed that his warnings were true. This is what has now actually happened. So with the fury of kind of the betrayed, they decide to very quickly send seven whole Space Marine legions to the Istvan system to bring Horus to account and the brother Primarchs. And if they can't, they are under orders to destroy them to a man. Uh, This is now a war of all against all. There's no mercy. They'll be given one chance to surrender. And if they don't, they'll be decimated. They're absolutely destroyed because they are uh, effectively four now reduced legions versus seven full strength legions. So you're talking about 300 to 400,000 troops against, you know, arguably a million depending on the numbers, because uh, all of these numbers are quite unreliable within the lore. They translate into the system and scan for the enemy troops. And what they discover is they've moved from Istvan 3 to set up a base, to set up defensive position on Istvan 5. So further towards the area where the uh, uh, kind of portal into the to where the troops enter into the system where craft enter into the system they are arrayed within an area called the Urgal depression which is a vast open field surrounded on three sides by mountains uh, into which have been built countless uh, fortresses and fire points and they've reinforced the city and so the force of all four legions plus their allies are uh, encamped there waiting for the loyalists to bring them to bear. There's two waves of loyalists' land. So the first wave is comprised of the Salamanders, a legion led by their Primarch Vulcan. Um, These are like the the warrior blacksmiths of sort of, yeah, African lore. So it's a very uh, ritualistic deeply, deeply compassionate legion. They put the welfare of imperial citizens at the forefront of any of their plans. For instance, if they're trying to take a city, they'll do so with the minimal amount of damage, targeting only those that are kind of enemy combatants and rigorously protecting refugees and getting people out of there. So very noble uh, legion. You then have the Iron Hands, which are an entire legion of robocops. That's effectively <laughs> how to think of them. Cyborgs, they're loyalist, but loyalist with no pity, no mercy whatsoever. They think that anything that has flesh is weak and only the machine is strong. So they have a great deal of uh, tech marines, which are their kind of machinist uh, space marines, lots of vehicles, lots of really esoteric weapons. Are they quite? Do they have a close relationship with the Mechanicum? Then uh, they would do, but there's still a distance because these are still, if you recall, the Mechanicum is with the Imperium, but not of the Imperium. They're mm. they're allied to the Imperium rather than being 
you know, a, a section of the Imperium itself. But they can relate to them. They're like, you're you're half robot too, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, me too, man. Where, yeah. <laughs> you hate magnets too, right? Yeah, fucking hate magnets, bro. They're such a pain in my <laughs> yeah. steel butt. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the Iron Hands are led by Ferris Manis, which is Latin for Iron Hand, Go figure. Excellent. And he is uh, like a force of nature. He strides through the battlefield with a thunder hammer, which is this massive hammer with a power uh, power field around the head. And he's an expert in taking out vehicles and planning strategy around uh, machine and uh, mechanized warfare. Oh, how am I going to get this tent peg into this gun? I got this! <laughs> Destroys half the consonant. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> <laughs> just causes a crater where the tent was <laughs> yeah the final legion is the or the final legion in the first wave is the raven guard these are if you can imagine if the band the cure were space marines <laughs> they're very kind of emo goth kind of shadow warriors and so they're led by a primarch called corvus corax they specialize in Fast attack actions, lots of jump troops, lots of drop troops from uh, from aircraft, lots of air support. They delight in fast action. Mr. Ben. I've just remembered, in episode one, I mentioned that I had the last heresy book that I had read was uh, not very good, and it was about the salamanders. I was completely wrong. It was about the Raven Guard. They, yeah, it was it was definitely the Raven Guard. Great story. No, not great. <laughs> so I take it back. I feel, I feel really bad about slandering the salamanders. Salamanders, salamanders are excellent, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Why did they call themselves the salamanders? I mean, I guess... I, I Slandermander. Guess, how did all these uh, different chapters get their names? But in particular, why did they go, we are definitely the salamanders? That is, that is who we are. Isn't Vulcan, doesn't he have skin like a salamander? No. Oh. He looks like that giant actor in the Green Mile, Michael Duncan Clark. Is mm. that the right? John Coffey. You know, the huge, huge mm. African American actor, a massive, massive uh, kind of specimen. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, culture yeah, of the planet that. he was on revolved around uh, creative excellence in in blacksmithing and making right. things, using technology to further the their culture. But it was also a planet that was populated by fire drakes dragons in effect it was a planet of dragons and so the salamander is a type of dragon uh, yeah on the the planet so he that's where they get their name okay from. okay yeah yeah to the uninitiated it's like a slow moving almost nocturnal <laughs> yeah. amphibious yeah. giant frog <laughs> thing but with <laughs> legs yeah but not okay fine cool yep <laughs> doesn't sound that threatening darren if i'm being honest with you what are we even doing here <laughs> These three legions land in the kind of open area and are instantly under fire, but they start making gains. They start focusing on specific areas and manage to start walking their way ever so slowly towards the enemy lines, taking out as many of the larger war machines and tight. You've got to imagine it's not just space marines. You've got like titans and uh, these kind of esoteric bionic troops of the Mechanicum and you know, hundreds of thousands of ordinary human troops on the side of the traitors as well. It's an inclusive battle, eh? It's an inclusive battle. And, you know, the Somme times a thousand. It's just, is as I said, a war of all against all. They're starting, they're making great headway, and then they start to falter a little bit. 
So the second wave is called in to strike down at the at the traitors, and these the second wave is coming down around where the first wave is, uh, so as to bolster their numbers immediately. This second wave, which has the the Night Lords, which is the chapter that belongs to the Angry Batman, Primark. <laughs> Uh, the Iron Warriors, <laughs> which are the uh, the counterpoint to the Iron Hands, they are effectively the same sort of chapter. Although the Iron Hands specialize in destroying fortifications and are so the enemies, effectively the cultural enemies of Rogel Dorn's Imperial Fists, who are the kind of castle builders of the Imperium. We then have the the Alpha Legion, who are the kind of stealth espionage troops of the Imperium's war machine. But imagine like a, a scout in full battle armor. But they specialize in infiltration into not only areas of their enemies, but into all of their brother legions. So there are one or two alpha legionnaires within each of the other legions just to kind of keep an eye on the situation i think white with you know not including the white scars i think alpha is definitely one of my faves because they're so mysterious <laughs> it's just so you don't know what they're what are they up to they're a bit scaveny and you like that don't you ben anything scaveny yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i love yeah, yeah. A bit of espionage mm, i like the sound of the batman of warhammer batman the night lord the night lord yeah have you ever seen any of the episodes of Firefly or of the movie Serenity? I've seen Serenity, yes. but not uh, the episodes, yeah. The, do you know the, the Reavers, the guys yeah. that are completely insane? Yeah. It's that, but a heavily armoured space marine who's rather rational about where they direct their insanity. Right, okay, okay. So, Mindful rage. Yeah, when they attack a world... One of the things they take over first is the broadcast systems, mm. and then they just play the greatest hits of gory horror and fear-inducing <laughs> uh, soundtracks across the entire planet. They use terror as a weapon. You've got to have a soundtrack when you're conquering. They're my kind yeah. of dudes. They are. <laughs> yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> what would be your theme when you were conquering, crap? It'll be something like Snooker Loopy. The only uh, way is up. <laughs> <laughs> the only way. <laughs> Crowl the conqueror. You spin me right round, Benny, right round. <laughs> so as listeners will no doubt guess, this second wave was comprised entirely of traitor legions. These are legions that had already been turned by Horus, and they fell upon the three loyalists with a fury that it, it turned into butchery, uh, effectively. They decimated in the more colloquial term, rather than killing one in 10, they left one in 10 alive, <laughs> perhaps even one in 100. It was an absolute bloodbath, you know, in terms of physicality, but also in existential horror, as these three Primarchs saw their their dreams just disappear in front of them and watched hundreds of thousands of their sons just get killed and slaughtered. I mean, there's a, a, a story within the Battle of the Urgal Depression where a load of Raven Guard are retreating, firing a retreat under fire back to a stronghold that has been repopulated by one of the traitor legions. And it's very much like a D-Day landing. They're just simply minced into parts 
down the length of this kind of trench that they're walking through. Depending on if you can feel sorry for fictitious superhuman warriors, then yeah, it's, it's a bad old state to be in. So it was the Raven Guard. So who were the three loyalist legions that got decimated? The Raven Guard? Raven Guard, Salamanders, and Iron Warriors. Right. Now, it's important here to kind of highlight that this is also the battle that saw the first death of a Primarch. Ferris Manus, the Primarch of the Iron Hands, was beheaded in a duel by Fulgrim himself, the Primarch of the Emperor's Children. What's heartrending about this is these two were, they were the strongest of brothers. There's the strongest of ties between both themselves and their legions. There was a, a great deal of respect went both ways. And to, you know, for the Iron Hands to watch not only the Emperor's children, you know, rebel against the Emperor, but then to have their father and general killed by the, you know, one of the Primarchs that, the, that was held in the highest esteem by their legion. You know, Fulgrim kept the head and the surviving Iron Warriors were able to snatch the body or parts of the body, I should say, away and make a fighting retreat. At the end of it all, again, a vast number of casualties. You're looking at around about 100,000 traitor casualties across the all now, all eight traitor legions that were uh, present, and somewhere in the region of about a quarter of a million superhuman warriors, loyalist superhuman warriors, dead, done, gone, uh, um, done and dusted. Jesus. This led ultimately to the realization that the Imperium was now on a defensive footing. There were more traitor space marines, traitor legions active in the galaxy than there were loyalist legions. There were far more, no, or rather not, the ultramarines still had a significant number of uh, battle brothers which they could bring to bear. Uh, but in essence now, the Imperium was on the defensive. The uh, uh, the traitors, we'll call them, were they all united or were they like splintered off into different groups and had their own agendas and maybe even fought each other? There was still uh, rivalries between the Primarchs and thus the legions that they, uh, they led, but in general, Horus was able to keep the Primarchs in line mm. and thus the Primarchs kept their battle brothers in line. Okay. Okay. And the general citizens of the Imperium, so the non-military people, the everyday Darren, Bens, and Chris's that are living their lives on Terra and other planets, were they aware this was all going on? Or were they oblivious? Was all this happening no. behind closed doors? No. It, I mean, as, as soon as it was revealed that the betrayal was real, you had a propaganda campaign spread across the Imperium, mm. you know, you, you want to turn your uh, each planet you have into a bastion, into a recruiting ground for warriors, into a manufacturing mm. facility for arms uh, and, um, and equipment. And the best way to do that is just to, you know, uh, not reveal any to them, anything to them and let them uh, operate as normal. So in terms of like, you know, you talk about propaganda, like what's the state of kind of news and press in the Imperium? I'm assuming that it exists, but it's state controlled. 
yes, 100%. As the the Great Crusade progressed out through the universe, it was, you know, a part of that was uh, what's referred to as the iterators. These are the kind of philosopher kings, the experts in argumentation that would take hold of a culture that they had now brought into imperial compliance through violence and reframe all of their own cultural mores and manners uh, to that of the imperium, the wider imperium, and the kind of the imperial truth, as it was called, uh, as a secular society. So in a lot of places where they had like a star god they worshipped, it was reframed as that's actually the emperor. Right, the person okay. you've been worshipping all along has been the emperor. So it was a, a, a cultural invasion, an intellectual invasion, as well as a physical invasion. So the only way that kind of word of this rebellion would have got to those kind of far-flung planets of the Imperium would have been through the Imperial press channels anyway. So they would have had the ability to kind of control that message. Yeah, which were all tightly controlled. Uh, obviously, yeah, right, right. but in reality, I, I suppose to to take what you're saying to its logical end, the only real way someone would know that there's a civil war at all is when the rebels turned up. Yeah, or the right. rebels were about to turn up, and therefore the forces of the Imperium had to level with the populace and go, right, we need everyone who can carry a gun to come here and get a gun. Yeah, yeah, because these these guys are going to turn up and put a flag in in the planet. No, we can't have that. No flags. No flags. Uh, the the kind of Isvan campaign, two cataclysmic battles for the kind of the uh, the very foundations of the Imperium, and the really the the as I say the battles that put uh, not only the betrayal of the Emperor front and center, but also the Imperium itself on a defensive footing. Uh, they were now fighting a recovering battle, a, 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 a fighting retreat because. They knew where Horus was heading. He was he had to be heading to Terra to kill the Emperor. That's the only way he could survive. It's the only way he could win. As the the Battle of Isfan III, where the traitor legions were cleansing themselves of their loyalist uh, brothers, the word bearers were conspicuous in their absence. They rejoined, of course, for the Battle of Isfahan V, but they had a special task to take care of. And it was revolved really around two goals. One was to disrupt the manpower of the Ultramarines, who, as I'd previously said, had up to half a billion Space Marines uh, in, their, uh, in their forces. That's a significant difference, isn't it? Like half a billion compared to like some of the legions were like a couple of hundred thousand. Yeah. Well, I, I think we deluded last episode that there's strong evidence that the ultramarines absorbed another legion entirely when it was either number 11 or number two got destroyed. Right. Or was persona non grata for the, uh, the Imperium. And you're not, you don't, you don't mean a half a million, you mean half a billion. Oh, maybe I mean half a million. Oh, fuck. <laughs> i was gonna say because a couple of hundred thousand compared to half a billion is five what 500 million yeah that's five? 500 million yes. no <laughs> i i i'm really sick half a million and so that represented a huge threat to horus himself 
and his plans because suddenly, I mean, it's not as much as half a billion, but half a million is it, you can't really shake it's, a stick at it's uh, that number of space rings. Yeah, less impressed now. Yeah. <laughs> less impressed. <laughs> Relatively speaking, <laughs> <laughs> it's only half a million, isn't it? Half a million. Half a million. <laughs> And they, the, but the ultramarines were out on the eastern fringe within their own kind of pocket empire known as the 500 worlds because it's comprised of 500 worlds. Uh, and this is <laughs> half a billion worlds. 500. Oh, okay, fine. Half a thousand worlds. <laughs> billion. <laughs> oh, so uh, Horus had arranged for an enormous kind of crusade comprised of effectively half of the ultramarine legion so 250,000 really uh, at the area of uh, a planet called Kalth they were to be joined by what was ostensibly still loyal word bearer legionnaires uh, in equal number that's what was proposed there was an equal number of word bearer troops coming now there wasn't what happened in in reality is Lorgar used this as an opportunity to rid himself not of the loyalist brothers uh, those loyal to the emperor within his legion he had already dispatched that before horus was corrupted by chaos lorgar after being shamed by the emperor and by uh, robo gurliman uh, rebute gilliman he had gone on a pilgrimage uh, led by visions which led him ultimately to the eye of terror that area of warp space uh, invading into reality where the Eldar homeworlds had originally been. In that pilgrimage to and from, they had shed any kind of loyalty to the uh, Emperor. However, they were consumed by rage against the Ultramarines, against uh, particularly Rabuti Guliman, who they saw as you know, the architect of their demise the challenge to their faith, the, the instigator of the crisis of faith that they went through. So in the the kind of space docks above Kalth, which you have to imagine, it's a crusade, it's a huge crusading fleet. You have hundreds of ships uh, at anchor uh, in orbit around Kalth. You have hundreds of defensive space stations with huge macro cannons and defense lasers. Uh, you have repair facilities you have shipyards where these uh, uh ships are being built for the first time all protected uh, by the mechanicum uh, all with kind of you know a firewall of, of uh, data to stop uh, any corruption and really it's a fortress world although it was a very verdant and beautiful world as most of the worlds within the 500 planet empire is the first word bearer ship to arrive is something called the the Campanile, and it's a it was a small cruiser, but loaded with uh, communications arrays. And what it did was it spread a corrupting virus through the systems of the the ships, but also the uh, space stations and defensive platforms. And then it just smashed into the space station, sending that hurtling down towards the planet. Huge amounts of um, like chaos erupted, uh, as in the behavior chaos erupted, in the skies above Kalth, 
where suddenly the defense platforms turned their guns towards the planet's surface and just started hour-long bombardments of the cities wow. and marshalling grounds and storage facilities, uh, targeting specifically areas where the system knew space marines were. This then allowed the... Are these automated guns? These um... these are automated guns. They were able to either be destroyed or recaptured. There's a good story about the kind of the tech priest that led that charge in the Betrayal at Calf book. The word bearer fleet translated into space and just started uh, bombarding and boarding as many of the ultramarine ships as they could. What they were trying to do is get the void shields, these kind of energy shields, to drop so that their troops could board each vessel and claim it for the word bearers so that they could vastly increase their capacity to make war uh, in the future. But it turns out that there was only 50,000 word-bearer space marines, and all of them had a frothing hatred of ultramarines. That was their consuming goal. They couldn't be relied upon to do anything if they thought an ultramarine was nearby. They were just, you know, frenzy. And so this led to enormous ship-to-ship combat, boarding actions, all the while wreckage is raining down onto Kalf and destroying the planet, uh, for want of a a better phrase. The majority of the population died as a result of this action. Not only that, but half a billion human troops, human, regular human troops, gone. Wow. As the fighting descended from the heavens onto the surface, it went underground. The The surface of the planet Kalth was poisoned by the reactors of the ships that were just raining down onto its surface, onto the planet. So uh, ultimately, sorry, the word bearers had about 100,000 troops. They lost 50,000, but it was 50,000 of those who were corrupted by their anger of the ultramarines. This battle then, once the battle in orbit was taken care of, which the the word bearers won, this went subterranean. And for the rest of the Horus heresy, it was still going on. It lasted another uh, seven or eight years until it could be relieved by loyalist troops. Um, and even then, it took a while to resolve. Fuck. You had, you know, fighting from cavern to cavern, fighting in the sewers of wrecked cities, um, all told. 50,000 word-bearer troops died. 120,000 ultramarine troops, you know, ready to go. Troops, you know, refreshed troops at the start of the crusade, killed in action. Another 30,000 were wounded to the point where they were no longer effective. You know, you're talking about missing limbs. uh, You're talking about, you know, severe brain trauma, body trauma, mortal wounds as well as wounds that would be recoverable, but would render you useless in a fight. You ain't growing that leg back. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Even with your venom spit, yeah. (laughs) And the remaining troops, some forty to 60,000 fresh ultramarine troops, were trapped underground uh, within the various uh, um, caverns and emplacements on the, you know, beneath the surface of Calf. What had effectively happened there is that 
Horus through Lorgar had taken the strength out of the Ultramarines. It had reduced the Ultramarines to a kind of fair footing fight. The Battle of Kalth began what's called the Ruin Storm, which is a localized warp storm trapping the 500 worlds of the Ultramarines within themselves. It created a little small pocket empire. Sounds quite nice. Yeah, except it's full of demons. And it took the uh, the, the Ultramarines out of the Horus Heresy almost for its entirety. So roughly half of the Ultramarine force was like wiped out or incapacitated in the in the Kalth episode. But the other the other half of the force were kind of grounded by these warp storms. They couldn't get beyond the edges of their own right. kind of fiefdom. They couldn't go from the five hundred worlds uh, governed by the Ultramarines into the wider Imperium. It did act as a haven. There were ways to get in. So you saw later in the heresy, uh, other loyalist chapters arrived in the kind of uh, the Empire of Ultramar, which was uh, eventually christened Imperium Secundus. It was like a new Imperium because they didn't know. They thought that the Emperor had already fallen. They had no information coming to Mm. them because of the trapped behind these warp storms. They were eventually able to get out. But yeah, it, it, it was a masterful stroke by both Horus and Lorgar. Uh, and effectively, what you've seen now is that, uh, what, four whole Loyalist sure. legions are taken out of the fight? So who's left on the Loyalist side? On the Loyalist side, you've got the Imperial Fists, the Dark Angels, the Blood Angels, the White Scars. Oh, I'm missing one. I mean... <laughs> And the space wolves. So we got five. So there's five. So yeah. there was nine space wolves, loyalists, and four of them are gone. Five of them are still in play. Yes. Holy shit balls. Yeah. It should be noted that there are survivors of Istvan Five. There are survivors from the Iron Hands, the Raven Guards, and the Salamanders. But of their entire massed kind of numbers, only twenty-two thousand survived. That's a small group. And I think, lads, that's where we'll end it today because that's kind of the four big battles to start the Horus Heresy, the the Battle of Prospero or the Burning of Prospero, the Istvan Three atrocity, the Dropsite Massacre on Istvan Five, and the uh, Betrayal at Kalth. Those are really, they set the scene and tone for the rest of the Horus Heresy. And this all stemmed from Horus, one of the Primarchs, the best of us, the best of them. What saw the writing on the wall that maybe there's not room in the world for the Primarchs and the Emperor's going to get rid of us, so I'm going to quickly usurp this situation. Uh, Yes, I mean, that's probably the the anxiety that was in the back Mm. of his mind, but it was the the wounding and then subsequent healing via chaos that allowed the chaos gods to skew his perception him. of yeah. what was actually happening. Yeah, okay. So they used his pride against so him. So the Horus Heresy yeah. was really chaos versus the emperor? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. There's a, that's a very succinct way of putting it. <laughs> Why are we doing two episodes? <laughs> Part two cancelled. All right. <laughs> 
Yeah, it should be. It should also be said that I'm, you know, again, I'm cherry picking, sure. and even while I'm cherry picking, I'm leaving out tons of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, there are, you know, for instance, the survivors of Isfahan Five become what's called the Shattered Legions, and that's where they begin to see combat and sabotage actions that the type that you wanted to to hear more about, Chris, and what they're trying to do is disrupt. They know they can't face Horus head on, but they're disrupting his supply lines, his logistics, trying everything to slow down the traitor so that the uh, forces on Terra can begin yeah, yeah. to fortify as best God. they can. That was <sighs> epic. Battle of epic proportions. I think, I think the part of my brain that deals with epic proportions is now overwhelmed and... Pulsing out of the side Burnt of your brain, like <laughs> just a little bit of a smoke coming out the side <laughs> yeah. of your skull. Uh, I've Burnt got out. a Horace Heresy tumor. That was, uh, <laughs> that was biblical. Well, what do you think of that then, Kral? Wow, mate, like blimey, um, it's just so fucking epic. I don't even know how to get my small mind wrapped around this. Really, like. <laughs> I only saw your nose bleed three times during that. <laughs> yeah, try coming up with a way to describe it in just what three hours? <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> the impact, the totality, and impact yeah. of it. Amazing. No thanks. Yeah. Oh, I cannot wait for the next episode. Tying back, perhaps, to our second episode, this wasn't in 40k when it launched. It's crazy. The Horus Heresy didn't exist until the Realms of Chaos books came out. So it was a, you know, 40K had been a, a property, had been a game, had been a story for two years before That's the Horus Heresy was mentioned. Uh, and even then, it's wildly different from, from what it is now. Was the, at that point, was the Horus Heresy like kind of bubbling away in the background or was it kind of shoehorned in retrospectively? I don't know. I, th I think, g given how long it takes to come up with the, the, these kind of big rule books and the various new models and rules. A lot of thought has clearly gone sure. into it, but I think they were trying to come up with a way to show that Chaos had corrupted space marines rather than mm. invented their own space sure. marines. So how would yeah, they do yeah, that? Yeah. I think that's what the premise was, to get people to be able to visualize why these armies would be fighting on the tabletop. Mm. It's a strong story as well. Like it's, I mean, it's definitely... It's definitely TV worthy, isn't it? Oh, it's completely relatable. I mean, we've all been there, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Shall I wrap up? Let's wrap up. All right. That's all from us. Thank you so much for listening. Details and imagery for the topics we've discussed in this podcast can be found on our website at layingdownthelord.com. We also have all our previous episodes on there, release schedules, merchandise, and you can sign up for the Laying Down the Lore newsletter, which includes exclusive info about upcoming releases, behind-the-scenes chat, and some extra lore not covered in the podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard in this episode and you want to support us, head over to patreon.com forward slash laying down the lore 40k and sign up today for as little as £3. This will give you access to our Discord server so you can come and tell us exactly what you think of Dar. We'll be back again soon displaying just how little Chris and I know. Until then, goodbye. Ciao, ciao now. I love you in spite of yourselves. Yeah.